This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. Today is the day that Liverpool, the newly crowned Premier League champions, finally get their hands on the trophy. It's the moment that Reds fans have been dreaming of and we'll be trying our best to capture that on our podcasts, on our YouTube channel and on the Liverpool Echoes website. But on this podcast, we're going to be a bit reflective and look back on what has been an incredible season for so many reasons, as well as having a look to the future and to see what Jurgen Klopp's brilliant team can do next, whether they need signings and just what the landscape could look like now that Manchester City have won their appeal against the European ban. And to help me do that, I was delighted to speak to author and journalist Simon Hughes. Simon is a regular on the Alain Le Rouge podcast and of course he now works alongside our former Liverpool FC correspondent Jay. James Pearce for The Athletic. The paperback edition of Simon's book, Alay Alay Alay, is now available to buy, so it was the perfect opportunity to pick up the phone to talk to him about that, his time covering Liverpool, and lots else besides. Enjoy. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, hi Simon, first and foremost, thanks very much for joining me on this podcast. Uh, it's great to have you on, mate. Thanks for inviting me, Paul. Yeah, hopefully... People listening to this will have heard you alongside Neil Fitzmaurice, Peter Hooten and Dan Kay on the joint Alley La Rouge Poetry in Motion podcast we did. I think it was in the days immediately after the title was won. I thought it really captured the mood in the fan base and the city at that that moment in time. And okay, there's there's been a few drop points since then. But as someone like yourself who lives on Merseyside, is that feeling very much still there? Um, well, it just feel like quite a long time ago now, doesn't it? I mean, I suppose in two or three weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I've got to be honest. I mean, I, I sort of, I may mention this on the previous podcast, but I, I've I've spent much of my life sort of envisaging what it, what it will feel like and look like, you know, when Liverpool win the title. And I remember in 2014 when they, when they got so close, I remember sort of mapping out the summer of celebrations and, you know, <laughs> just envisage myself being in town every night, you know, and obviously that that's not that's not possible in this uh in this world that we live in at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's sort of that the, the weekends when, when obviously also the, the, the Thursday nights and the weekends after when they clinched, you know, there was that level of triumphalism, but it's sort of a, it's sort of quieting down quite quickly. It's more, just more like a, a level of satisfaction now, you know, I, I think, you know, the, uh, you know, the, to, to know that, that that sort of, that 30 year period of unwanted history is over. Um, it's just a very unusual time in football. I mean, I, I always used to think about what it would be like, you know, that moment when Liverpool uh, Liverpool clinched the title, the final kick of the ball and the reaction of the crowd and there's just a spontaneous release of emotion. And I still sort of feel like I haven't had that moment. It was like it was exciting and I was I was delighted. But, you know, obviously with with um, with uh, with the way it happens as well, with, with it happening with, with, with Chelsea beating Man City, you don't expect it to be like that. So there's all these things rattling around in my head. I mean, I'm sort of hoping that when life gets back to something like normality, you know, that the, the team will will really feel, you know, that they've got to do it in a way where they're going to experience the whole emotional ride of the city. So in some ways, I'm sort of glad that, that they sort of got over this this 30-year hurdle, but maybe, you know, that it can happen again and you're still, you're still waiting to experience that, that insane level of, of excitement, you know, when, when the final whistle goes. So I'm a bit, to tell you the truth, I'm a bit conflicted by it all at the moment. It's quite understandable. I, I do wonder if the, the players and the manager privately feel like that because 
Liverpool teams, the great Liverpool teams have always had that deep connection with the fan base. But this one, particularly from the manager down to all the players, do seem to have it the same, don't they? You, you know, they they will want that moment desperately as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, the players and the manager, you know, the thing about Liverpool at the moment is, you know, what you see on the pitch, I think the players are like that off the pitch as well. You know, they're generally very good to deal with from a from a media point of view. You know, they're not like, they're not trying to be your best mate or anything like that, but, you know, you you, you sort of, they'll, they will stop and talk and, and, and speak speak with, with honesty, I find, and, you know they're, they're an honest bunch, really. You know, you, you, you sort of obviously you saw that everybody saw the footage of the players at Formby Hall after the final whistle, and you know they're they're going to feel that level of satisfaction. But they they will know, you know that that you know that they've all gone through that experience of of you know the open top bus through through Liverpool, and um, they haven't had that this time yet. So yeah, I I know when they in Klopp, I, I suspect that he'll. He'll use this as, as a source of motivation for players, you know, and say, look, we have, we've done it, but, you know, we still haven't had the full hit. And that's something that I think, knowing the way he works and sort of the gaps that he sees, he'll, he'll use that as a source of motivation. I understand, obviously, Liverpool have tailed off a little bit since they've won the league. I mean, there's a bit of an overreaction to that, I sort of feel. You know, the, the, the lockdown's affected Liverpool quite clearly as well. Mm. You know, they haven't been quite as sharp, you know, in, in the game since. I think the Crystal Palace game was really the only one where I really felt they had to win that game and be delivered on that night. But once once you know that you've got the title, I, I, I mean, I can only relate it to my own experiences when I when I played football. I remember when I was a bit younger, as a young adult playing Sunday football and we won the league one weekend, and we, I think we had two matches of the season left, and there was just no, there was no energy in the rest in our performances, even though we'd only lost one game all season. So I, I can I can sort of relate to, to how how they might feel, you know, that the players in that sense, because Liverpool as a team, they, they, they sort of feed off the crowd and feed feeds off the energy of of the environment that they play in, and obviously that's not there at the moment as well. So I think you've got a there is some mitigation for that. I mean. Uh, I was speaking to somebody last night, and my 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 sort of fear is a little bit that you know I think Liverpool are probably being hit hardest in some ways by the lack of crowds because you know that Jurgen Klopp talks often about the energy of the crowd and how that uh, that that helps you know push the team on and um, you know I felt I felt sort of last couple of games against Arsenal and against Everton as well when when the crowd isn't there to even get on the the, the backs of the opposition you know I think it's. It helps the opposition because there's no way that Arsenal could have put in a performance at the Emirates that they put in in front of a crowd. They would have been desperate to like the crowds have been urging them on, trying to get mm-hmm. them forward, and they just they just sat back. It was like a training exercise. So I can understand why people say you know that the, the, the games you know in in a after project restart haven't been quite you know it's it's not football as we know it. But I've said it all along that we are where we are we're in a pandemic. I personally felt the football. Had to find a way to continue because um, because you know there's, there's a lot of livelihoods attached to football, including my own. You know there's, there's a bit of self-preservation there. You know football doesn't continue. You know where, where does it leave a lot of reporters? You do all these things go through your mind. So I'm glad that it did come back. And you know as I said, we are where we are, but but um, it's it's not doesn't feel quite the same for me at the moment. And hopefully sooner or later we'll be able to get some crowds back in the stadiums. 
echoed that completely. More than any team though in, in this league, Liverpool deserve for this season to play out because yeah, we're we're recording after the, the Arsenal defeat and sure enough there were rival fans on Twitter saying, Oh, Liverpool can't break Manchester City's points record. Uh, they've only got ninety three points. Like but this season given especially what's happened in these last few months will never be forgotten. But let's like try and rewind back to pre coronavirus. This is one hell of a football team and it must have been an absolute pleasure for, for you to kind of chronicle it this year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's been it's been a brilliant five years, really, to tell you the truth, ever since Jürgen Klopp became Liverpool's manager. Uh, I mean, it, it sort of coincided with me going to work for the Independents and them saying, you know, look, we, we want you to cover Merseyside football, but, but Liverpool sort of being at the forefront of that. And uh, Jürgen Klopp comes in, you know, within a couple of months of, of, of me going there and being able to see, you know, to see the matches that I've seen, you know, first and foremost, the development of the team year on year, there's been progression. You know, you, you, I don't think anybody could deny that, you know, from 2018 onwards, you know, two European Cup finals, Premier, you know, trying to trying to win the Premier League, even, you know, it's impossible to look back at that season when, when they, they just missed out on the Premier League with sadness because they won the Champions League. Just some, just some amazing experiences going to, to you know, major football grounds and, and cities that, you know, I hadn't been to, or some cities that I had been to, and uh, you know, I guess as a tourist, but going there to, to watch Liverpool and cover Liverpool matches, it's, it's, it's why you go into it, you know, as, as a journalist, you, you want to be covering these big matches and, you know, big important matches, uh, which, which actually means something. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's been brilliant to watch, to watch the development of the sides and, and just the growth of the club really, because. You know, I, I started reporting on Liverpool probably 12, 13, 14 years ago and it's a very different club now to what it was then. And, you know, it's I would say it's it's, a, it's, it's there's been a, profes- a professionalisation of, of, of the club and um, but it need, it still needed that world-class manager in Jürgen Klopp. And, you know, for me, yeah, the owners have done, I think, you know, I know the owners come in for a lot of criticism. I think sometimes the criticism is fair, but I think there's a lot of unfair criticism as well. But I think as owners, you're always going to be criticised. Nobody ever, I think I've said this before, nobody ever really sings the owners' name, do they? <laughs> they're, just there, they're, just there to, uh, they're just there to sign the checks, as, as Bill Shankly said. So, um, you know, I think they've got to accept that to some degree. But, you know, the, the manager, for me, is it's all down to the manager, really. They obviously did a great job in managing to uh, to hire him. And, and since then, you know, he's just moulded it into his club. And um, I just hope that, that with... with everything happening at the moment with coronavirus, um, that it doesn't really curtail the development of the team because, you know, I've written all along that Liverpool is a football club now that, that sort of lives in a real financial world. You know, there's bounces and checks. You know, they, they can't, they don't overspend for players. They they, they, they get good value in, in the players that they sell and bring top quality in. So, obviously, with not having um, not having fans in the stadium, that's going to have an impact on, on the decision-making around the club. It just seems a shame that they just get that top point of the, of, of opportunity where the, the you know there's either well they are the best team in the world. I think any player would in the world would want to sign for Liverpool at the moment and and play for Jurgen Klopp. It it could become a little bit harder. Um, so yeah, I mean, just just to touch on what you said there about sort of this season, it, it just seemed like sort of a lifetime ago, doesn't it? You know, sort of some of the some of the games that, that put Liverpool in this position. But you know, I, I'll never forget you know sort of the feeling of excitement when Liverpool beat Manchester United 2-0 mm-hmm. you know and, and I mean I've rambled on about this this game before but Villa away was yeah massive game for Liverpool that, that was that was the, the, the big I, I would say that's the biggest away win of the Jurgen Klopp era 
100% to go there and turn that, that, that game around in the last few minutes. I just think it gave the club and the fans this sense of invincibility, really, which which carried on for a long period of time. And, um, you know, there's been other great moments, Leicester, you know, Leicester away. I think people will always remember that game, no matter what, you know, in 20, 30 years' time, beating, beating the team, you know, a top-quality team, in my view, away on, on Boxing Day 4-0, absolutely trouncing them, you know, and, and then Manchester City at home, Tottenham at home, all these games, been fantastic games, you know, so I think people aren't just going to forget them, you know, people had those, you know, it's not just about the final moments, it's about the journey as well, so people people will take those memories and, and live with them forever, I think. Your latest book, LALALA, documents the club's rise under Jurgen Klopp back to the top of European football. When you were writing it before the start of this season, from speaking to people inside and connected to the club, did you always believe the team could go that one step further this season and win the league after the, the Champions League high of last season? Yeah, I mean, I, I was quite taken aback last summer, actually, because uh, I, I finished the book. The, the book actually came, it came out in hardback um, last, yeah, last summer. And... I remember speaking to a few people behind the scenes at Liverpool, you know, sort of high up at ownership level. And I was, I was quite surprised, actually, because, you know, I, I said to them at the time, you know, that, well, the, the league obviously has to be, it was just in sort of quiet conversation, really, that the league obviously has to be the next target. And they actually corrected me and said, no, we, we really, really want to win the Champions League and the league in the same season. We, we think it's achievable. And I was, I was quite impressed by that, really, because I, I just thought, you know, sometimes... Maybe there's a perception that that the owners sort of, um, you know, that they're not. I hate saying it like this, but they're not that serious about the sort of the winning culture. Maybe as much as as much as the fans are. Maybe that's unkind. But they were really determined. He said, "No, no, look, we, we really want to do this. Like we think it's possible. We've we've just gone close to, to, to doing both." And you know, I, I think that it's difficult to say. It's all a bit of uh, if buts and maybe's, but. The Atletico Madrid game, I think that game was sort of affected by the the circumstances of of, of coronavirus. You know, people sort of felt it felt like the end of the season, didn't it? In in some ways, the atmosphere wasn't quite as as edgy inside Anfield as it might have been. And I know the goalkeeper that night, Atletico Madrid, one of the best goalkeeping performances I've ever seen yes. by a visiting goalkeeper at Anfield. Oh, Black thought he was incredible. I mean, I, I think if the circumstances were a little different, they probably would have gone through there and. You know, they'd be looking forward to a Champions League, you know, quarter final at some point in the, in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I just think, you know, listening to people, speaking to people at the back end of last year, you know, Liverpool went so close to winning uh, a double, which would have been unexpected. You know, winning the Champions League gave gave the players a bit of a harder edge, I think. I think they realised, you know, that it's not just about sort of playing great football, it's about getting over the line and, the circumstances in which they won the Champions League, you know, they, they've won a lot of games like that this season where it's just been like, you know, you just know Liverpool are going to win. And, um, yeah, so, I, I I mean, I wasn't that surprised that Liverpool flew into the season, really. You know, they, they start the season with a great win over Norwich and just looked pretty uh, pretty impressive from the offset. I remember the, the game against Burnley away uh, when they actually made made mincemeat out of Burnley. You know, a difficult team to buy a turf more. Liverpool just, just swatted them aside. And I, I just thought from then, you know, they're going to have a real chance this year. You know, City have lost a few players. The only, you know, let, let, let's not forget, City won the league by a whisker the season before. And I, I thought, you know, they, they've lost Vincent Kompany, who's a, a great leader, who scored when it mattered for them at the end of the season. And obviously Sané getting injured 
to start the team was such a big blow for Man City. I just thought that, that tips the balance in Liverpool's favour now, you know, because they're missing two world-class players. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been proven to be the case. They, they've just been relentless. I know you might not associate that, that word with, with Liverpool, given what's happened since since the football's returned. But, you know, I, I as I said before, I think that, that what happens before uh, before lockdown, that, that, that'll live long in the memory for everybody who certainly was at the games and watching those games live and, I guess celebrating with the mates afterwards. LA, LA, LA is your latest book. Obviously, the paper book, paper back, sorry, edition is is out now. But given what's gone on since then, everything that we've talked about so far on this podcast, the, the title win, worldwide pandemic, is there another book in you? You think? Well, I don't know. I mean, um, I mean to tell you the truth, I mean with books, it's a bit of a strange, uh, strange process, really. I mean, I, I've got to be careful how I say this, but it's like. You know, it, it, it's another thing that I've, I've, I've sort of had to do, really, to, to uh, I guess, further my career. It's a horrible way of putting it. But, you know, for, for a few years, I was working with the Independent, but um, had had the room to manoeuvre to go and, and space to, to go and go and write books and, and do my own stuff as well. Obviously, now I'm working for The Athletic and a full-time job, uh, whereas I was on, the, on a retainer with The Independent, so it was like regular work, but... But um, now, now I've got a full-time job. You know, I've got to sort of give me, me full focus to that for the next few years, really, and try and put all my energies into that. And writing a book, is, you know, it's enjoyable, but it's also, you know, sort of time-sensitive and quite stressful when I, when I decided to, to do LA, LA, LA. I mean, it, there was quite a quick turnaround, really, from, I think, January so what, what year, January 2019. I think I signed the contract to do it, and I, was, I had to finish it, really, by the start of May. And, and, and obviously, I had the finishing bits before... Um, before after the Champions League final, so it's it, it's a big undertaking, really. So I'm I'm probably you know maybe going to give it a rest for a few years and then maybe um, refocus in a few years' time when and and see where the land lies. Then I think uh, I mean there's only so many um, there's only so many, so many new things that you can write about before you need to take a step back. I think and and, and let let history take its course and then think about things a bit with with, with a fresher mind. Do you find managers, footballers, past and present, are a bit more open when speaking to, to people like yourself for a book rather than say if it's for a newspaper or a website? Well, I, I think I think they realise that in a book there's there's room for the context, isn't it? I think it, it, it's always that's what I always try and stress to them. And obviously, I've seen both sides of it where you're working for a newspaper and when you're obviously trying to write a book. And often with a newspaper, you know, this isn't to devalue the newspaper because I love writing for newspapers, but. You know, so very often you, you know there's a, there's a limit to the space that you can that you can uh, use. Um, but that that that's not to say that you don't you don't hit. Sometimes you've got to get to the point very quickly with a, a newspaper interview. And um, I mean, I always I always think back to um, I interviewed Fernando Torres for a previous book, and he he, he hadn't spoken about his um, his experiences at Liverpool and the manager manner of his departure before before and. I, I just said, you know, to him, you know, before I said, look, you know, the, there's the space to really explain everything that happened. So I'm not looking for a headline, you know what I mean? I, that's still what the nature of the, the industry, I suppose. And he was like, fine, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll do that. And people are generally more sort of, when, when they know that they're going to get the sort of, the full story, they, they sort of, they feel a bit more relaxed to open up and know that you, you're going to, you're going to, paint a full picture and speak to not just them, but maybe, you know, other people to try and get a balanced sense of what's going on. So it's a different skill set, I guess, really, you know, you're sort of doing, doing two different things, but 
They're both fundamentally the same, you know, in the sense that you, you want to make sure that the essence of the story isn't missed. You know, even if you've got more space, you've still got to make sure that people are drawn in by what they read at the top of the story because, you know, you can you can lose readers pretty quickly if you amble around and don't really, um, don't really reach the, the point of revelation quickly and then explain it in a proper way. So I, I, I feel grateful that I've been able to do both because you, you sort of hope, hope that it's maybe maybe a, a bit more of a rounded reporter in the long term because they're both sort of different skill sets but, but are linked in some ways. So um, people are generally, you know, people are generally uh, quite open, I, I find, with, 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 uh, with the books. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate that, that a lot of... A lot of players have, have sort of, you know, particularly past players have been been very approachable and, you know, sat down and had, you know, either a meal or, or um, you know, a few beers and, and just sort of always, the environment always matters as well. You know, you sort of don't want to be uh, ideally doing it over the phone or you don't want to be sort of in a place where they feel uncomfortable. So it's, it's been great. I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't complain about like sort of the access that people have given me. Do you think the modern day players would like to be more open or have that chance to be open and say times past would have been the case or as you say now former players who've, who've finished their careers? Do you think someone like Virgil van Dijk wouldn't mind going for a beer and sitting down and saying, right, listen, <laughs> there's, 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 I'm not looking for a headline here. This is just all about, you know, your tales. Or, or has it changed too much over the years? Uh, I think, it, I mean, it, I think it has changed even in the last 10 years, really. I mean, when, when, I, when I first started working as a reporter I mean there was a media department at, at Liverpool in terms of you know a press office but it was really just one person you know um, Ian Cotton was the old old press officer and sort of what he he said went you know really um, whereas now you know the, 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 the sort of the uh, the structure behind Liverpool has grown massively and there's, there's lots of different layers of of management um, I must say Liverpool I mean I, I tend not to uh, I haven't asked Liverpool for too many favours with interviews over the last years, direct, over the last few years directly. But you know, from my experience and from listening to other other reporters who deal with with the club um, directly on a more regular basis, you know that it's quite clear that the club is 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 is, is quite approachable in that sense. You know that, that they will they're open to ideas. They want to know like sort of what your angle is and why, you know what 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 sort of uh, pitch you're trying to build. And I think that's that's healthy. You know, Liverpool are. A lot better than than some clubs. I, I think that's part of the problem. Really. I mean, a lot of the players, particularly modern players, are brought up with media training, which I I feel a bit uncomfortable around that because you know it's sending out the message straight away that we're out to sort of trip them up. And mm. I I always feel that there's a danger with you know describing the media as this one living, breathing organism when there's different branches of the media, different different reporters, different people. Uh, different styles, you know, and I, 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 maybe it's just because I work in it that, that I see it a bit differently. But you know, I tend to feel that, that people should look at the media um, not not as one thing because you know each person will try and get the. I, I realise it in Liverpool and Merseyside and some other areas. You know, the work is packed, but people still work independently. People have still got their own style and, and contacts and bring different things to the table and. Um, so I think it's just getting the message across about what the media is really, and and, and, and encouraging players to build relationships with 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 with, uh, with, with reporters. Um, it's just a lot harder than it, I think it used to be in that front because you've you've not just got the clubs, but you've got the agents, and they've got like 
management teams that you can't just go up to a player now and say, hey, you know, can you know, can we sit down? Sort of thing. That <laughs> well, I, I was sort of I I sort of started at the back ends of that, right to the back ends of it. Um, and yeah, it's it's changed an awful lot. I mean, I think Liverpool as as, as a club, like as Virgil Van Dijk, Andy Robertson, Jordan Henderson, Trent. You know, they're the ones that jump out as the people. You know, whether they whether they win, not always when they lose, but if they have a bad result, they will they will come and speak to the media um, and, and front things up. And um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's it's a strange relationship. But I've, I've found over the years that you know you've just got to be treat people fairly. Really, I, I'm not. I've never really been one to. Um, I, I understand that other other news organisations might go after players a little bit more. You know, when they don't play well. I mean. I think part of the game, isn't it? Bad performances, you know. Um, maybe, maybe they think that you know players sometimes say that they, they, they don't read the media, but I'm pretty certain they do. Or at least they have they have they have people uh, on their behalf watching what's going on, and you know, you know who's written bad things about them, you know. Um, so yeah, it's 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 changed a lot, and I, I think the players, um, it's it's hard, it's getting harder to get players to say, you know, to, to say. You know, just come and meet me in a in a hotel. You know, most of them live in Cheshire anyway, so yeah. Uh yeah, it's a great points, I'm sure. Managers and players do read the media and it probably leads us on to the, the next question I want to uh, talk and ask about is uh, obviously Pep Guardiola was watching Jurgen Klopp's press conference earlier this week when uh, Jurgen said that Man City's Champions League ban being overturned was a uh, a bad day for football, although uh, he placed the fact that the fact that City will be playing in the Champions League next season could be good for Liverpool's prospects of defending the title. But then, you know, fast forward an hour later, Pep's in front of the cameras and he's saying it's actually a good day for football. <laughs> what did you make of it all? Yeah, um, I mean, it's great theatre, isn't it? And I, I can understand why um, why why both managers... I mean, both managers are essentially spokesmen for the club, aren't they, mm. really? Um you know, Jürgen Klopp, uh, I think that was one of the reasons why FSG wanted Jürgen Klopp because he, he's the face of the club, isn't he? And he, he, he so, so what he says goes at Liverpool now. I mean, I know FSG uh, obviously have, have their ideas about how to take the club off the pitch commercially, but he know, you know, he, he the reason why he works for them is because they work together, you know, and, and, and they work closely and the understanding between the ownership and, and the managers has never been better, really, you know, at any point in the club's sort of modern history, certainly. Likewise, you know, Pep is the face of Man City, isn't he? So, you know, no problem with the managers coming out and, and saying what do you think. That's what obviously um that, that that's obviously what sort of what's they're there to do. I think there's no point in a press conference otherwise, is there? But I mean <clears throat> I, I sort of feel that the conversation around <clears throat> the whole um the whole issue is 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 what I don't like about it, it's sort of become, you know, battle lines in the sense that, you know, there's some things that Jürgen Klopp said that I actually disagreed with. There's there's part of the thing, some of the things that Pep said that I agree with, but people because of the the sort of the um, the tribalism of football, they, they, they just seems to take either one argument or the other arguments, and that's right. I mean, on on a personal level, I, I sort of feel there are certain things with FFP that I disagree with. You know, I, I, I see the argument that you know football throughout time has always had you know people. Um, People and businessmen, you know, running the get running the clubs who've come in and spent a lot of money, um, and I don't like the idea that the football clubs who 
you know, like Manchester United, for example, you know, or or you know, the the the, the traditional big clubs would just be able to monopolise what's going on because of the size of the club um, and the history of the club. I do think that football needs fresh investments. You know, I think the owners of Manchester City have actually done some good things. Where the issue becomes clouded for me is, is that I, I, I fundamentally believe that there shouldn't be ownership of, you know, nation states. Mm. I know people will say Manchester City aren't owned by a nation state, but we could discuss that for a long time, couldn't we? But let's just say that they are in this instance. It's... um. You know, I, I don't think that's particularly healthy for football. For, for football, I've, I've got to be honest. Um, and, and I think that in the longer term, I mean, we, we talk about football going back 30, 40 years ago when, you know, the Iron Curtain was there and you get Sal Bucharest and, and, and Dynamo Dresden, all these football clubs who had links to the States. It wasn't healthy for football in those in those countries because those teams tended to win time and time and time again. I understand the relationship's different here because it's it's a it's it's a state that's not it's the the, the Manchester City in England, aren't they? But you know, I just think that it's it's very unhealthy. I think I think what people what people forget is the conversation becomes just about the elite. What how how that affects the elite. So there's no doubt that the acceleration of investments at the very top, which is being led by firstly by Chelsea, then by Man City, has affected what's going on at the bottom because they can't afford to keep up. They then overspend to try and keep up. You know, it ha- there's an ecosystem, fragile ecosystem that exists outside the Premier League, and that that seems to get forgotten a lot. I think um, so. That's where the issue is for me. I mean, FFP. Um, I also think, by the way, that if City have, have have agreed to the terms of FFP, essentially by signing up to play in the Champions League. Comp- Competition. They should really live by the rules, even if they disagree with them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, they've been found not guilty of anything that's, that's happened in the last five years. The, the big scandal, really, is why why does why UEFA not sort of realise that their own rules sort of would exonerate City because you know that the things that they essentially accused of were, were, were before you know before uh, 2015, 2014, 15. So. It's a big mess of an argument, really, and I think people just prefer to take sides according to who they support rather than sort of what is actually going on uh, beyond their own consciousness, really. And there's there's elements of both arguments that I think is right and wrong. Um, So, I mean, this is just going to rumble on forever now, and it does concern me how football clubs will react to that, you know, how obviously Liverpool potentially in a quite a fragile position in terms of... um, in terms of uh, their, their spending power over the next uh, couple of months, potentially uh, this this key time, I guess. Hopefully that 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 will be, that will that will change. But um, yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be the, the discussion will carry on forever, won't it? I mean, uh, whether City are worthy title winners, you know, that that will go on and on and on. Um, I mean, you can't help but admire what Pep Guardiola has done as, as as a manager at Man City. You know, he's had a lot of money to spend, but the they, they, they play great football, and what what has been proven is, you know, that the football clubs, if they're if they're going to get the best players, they, they still do need to spend. Really, and Liverpool have done that. I know they've they've obviously sold Philip Coutinho and, and and sort of reinvested that money well, but you still need to 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 spend that money. You need to spend, and you need to spend it well, and that's the one lesson I'm sure Jurgen Klopp's aware of. Because I don't think without Virgil Van Dijk and Alison Becker, what they've achieved over the last few years would have been possible. 
I'll carry on that point in a sec, but I just want to ask you, given the fact that you, you've spoken to kind of people on the corridors of power at Liverpool, at Chapel Street in the city centre or over in Boston, how do you think the decision has gone down with those guys? Obviously, we've heard what Jürgen's got to say, but, you know, for the owners, given they've played ball with FFP and, you know, and yeah. built this club fairly, you know, there's no question about that. How do you think this this will sit with them at the moment? It, it won't have gone down well, Um I know that it hasn't. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it hasn't gone down well. And you know that they, they it was one of the reasons why they they bought Liverpool in the first place. You know that they, they knew that FFP was coming, and they thought that it would be it would increase the possibility essentially to to, to help Liverpool out of the, the slump that they were in. Um, I mean, it, the one thing that does get forgotten, of course, is that when FSG bought Liverpool, they were miles away from being where the club that people thought that they should be. I mean, it was a shell of a club which had lost its institutional memory. Uh, the very few people around at the club who uh, who who were linked to the past and that culture of success. And that's why they brought Kenny Dalglish in, really, because I think they thought, well, you know, that gives us that link to the past, which which might just give us that lift in the short term. And, you know, Liverpool, uh, Liverpool really weren't an elite. You know, people talk about these elite clubs in the cartel. No, Liverpool weren't really in. If we're being totally honest, Liverpool were miles away from being in that in that in that group at that time. And I think what will frustrate them is that they believed in FFP and to some extent believe I believe that it can work. You know what? Well, I've proved that it can work because let's not forget in throughout this period of, of their ownership, they missed out on loads of players. That the idea that Liverpool can just sign players because of you know their their history is is being proven not true. You know, remember. Liverpool in 2012 missing out on Guilty Sigurdsson. You know, we went to, to Tottenham, you know, they missed out on countless players. You went to, to Chelsea, Willian, you know, um, Mo Salah, you know, went to, went to Chelsea at first. I guess the argument would be, well, if Liverpool get it right, it's going to be very difficult to stop Liverpool. But that could be said about any any football club. If you if you create that sort of winning culture, which Jürgen Klopp's created over a five-year period, I understand that people say, well, you know, they've only won things in the last few years. But, you know, any, any player from afar who can see that, you know, Liverpool have got it right on the pitch. They do want to go and play. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they've proven that the FFP can can work to some extent. I, as I said, I'm, I'm a bit conflicted by FFP because I, I sort of like the excitement of a new team coming in, providing that they prove that they can, you know, that they that the person who's buying that club has the money to, to commit to what they want to do. Football history has been laced with, with those sorts of stories. But I just, I just feel that you know it goes back to the beginning of the discussion about my, Liverpool. I remember Liverpool when they they were um, looking to sell originally under David Moores, and they went close to selling to Jackson Shinawatra. I th- I, I, wow. I, he was there then, <laughs> you know, he was there. He then bought Manchester City. I think I, I might be wrong about this, but uh, in terms of the chronology, but I'm pretty sure that at the time Shinawatra was the the prime minister of, of Thailand. Um, there were lots of question marks over the, um, you know, the human rights record in, in Thailand at the time, and Liverpool's owners just felt at that time we can't really do this. But you know, the horse sort of bolters in the meantime, hasn't it? You know, there's a lot of lots of clubs who've done it, and it's just, um, it's just, it's always sat uneasily that that for me, and it's, it's almost a separate conversation. But it, just because it's a separate conversation doesn't mean that it can, it can, it can form part of the reasoning and the discussion for for FFP as well. Uh, I, I feel so. Yeah, it'd be an interesting time for the owners, really, because they, they've obviously got massive interests in in, in in the Red Sox as well. They were going through a bit of a transitional period. 
um, you know, with, with managements and, and players coming and going in, in, in baseball. And obviously there's lots of concerns in the US about the future of sport, the immediate future of sport over there. So potentially tricky times, but um, I, I hope that, you know, I, I think they've, I, I, I know a lot of people are sort of critical of them. And as I said before, some of the criticism is merited, but they don't get everything right. But what I do think is that they, they, they correct mistakes pretty quickly, which some owners wouldn't do, you know, and whether that's for some for sort of to say financial reasons or whatever, you know, I think that if, if people correct a mistake and hold their hands up, I, I, I sort of feel, well, you know, you've got to, you've got to accept it really. And, you know, the, the, the humble, being humble enough to do that sometimes, uh, but they've been good owners for Liverpool who've, who've run the club on, on um, in, in a responsible way. And let's not forget, you know, the, 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 sta- the, the stadium issue is something that people just take for granted. I feel a lot of people, you know, Anfield has been, uh, has been uh, you know, re- re- rejuvenated really, both the ground and, and the area. And they've, they've done it while, you know, keeping close to the, the club's history. I, I always was reluctant to move away from Anfield. I just thought... It just wouldn't have felt like Liverpool. It would have become a different club, and you know, just being at Anfield, I think it, it still feels like Liverpool. Still, when you go there, it's still a level of excitement that I had when I was a kid. You know, like going back in 1991 when they won the title, you know, for the first time. Yeah, there's there's a lot when you, you take all that into consideration. There's still a lot to do off the field. Obviously, the the Anfield Road redevelopments and everything that's happening in the world at the moment financially, it does look like being a, a quiet summer for for Liverpool. Understandably, there's no place like Twitter, is there? When Liverpool are linked with a player, you know the the latest one in recent weeks has been Thiago from Bayern Munich, and I struggle to see how anyone can question FSG, Jurgen Klopp, or Michael Edwards when it comes to kind of recruitment. But playing devil's advocate, does the squad need a new sign or two before next season if mm-hmm. if it was possible and just maybe because let's face it we we all expect City to spend given they've sold Sane given they, they do need players and, and given they might be emboldened by this decision from uh, you know the court of arbitration for sports yeah well I, I think I think that Liverpool need to play pay very close I mean I think they've got to play very close attention to what's going on in the sense that I would be disappointed if the decision had been taken well, we're just not going to go into the transfer markets. I'd be very surprised as well. Um, I think they need to pay close attention to what's going on because obviously we don't really know yet what sort of the going rate will be for any player, you know, at the moment. Um, these unprecedented times, I think there'll be the idea that clubs are going to, players are going to be costing the same amount of money that they cost three or four months ago, I just don't think is the case. I mean, I, I was speaking to a few people in Germany over the last few weeks and there's real concerns there that that some of the players, there's going to be, a, you know, a big a fire sale of players really from some of the clubs because obviously German football relies heavily on sort of the gate money, you know, the, sort of the, tele, the television money is not as as big as it is in, in the UK. And it'd be disappointing, I would, I would say, if, if Liverpool... Didn't capitalise on that. It's a horrible way of putting it because it sounds like you know this sort of you know capitalisation on somebody else's misfortune. But you know it's still a game of football, isn't it? It's, it's always been that way, really. You know clubs have always signed players from other clubs that are, are struggling, whether you like it or not. And I feel that you know if, if there were players who were available for knockdown fees who you would normally want in your team, and they decide just conservatively, you know, we're just not doing it. That would be wrong, I think. You know, I think they've got to try and, and, and do something if you think it's right. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's very difficult at the moment to, to, to pinpoint where Liverpool 
need improvements to the first 11. I still feel that. I mean, the standard of that team is so high. There's only a premium of players in the world who who would go in, I feel, and, and make a massive difference straight away. But, you know, there are positions, you know, positions that I, I feel could deal, could, 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 uh, could, could, it might need a bit of competition. You know, like left back, I think Andy Robertson puts in so much mileage. You know, he could deal with, he, he could, he could do with a little bit of competition in that position because James Milner, as he get old, gets older, possibly might not be able to, to, to get up and down, like sort of play that role as effectively as he has done on occasion. You know, I feel that obviously Dejan Lovren, it looks like he's going to go. Potentially Shakiri might go. He hasn't really had a look in. Now, I, I, I feel that if, if you're going to play for Liverpool, you've got to be top quality. And there's a lot of pressure going on the, on these young players who who, um, who Jürgen Klopp obviously rates very highly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say if Liverpool can do a deal this summer, they should. They, they, they shouldn't pull back just because of a concern around what may or may not happen. You know, it may be... You know, being bold, um, you know, if, if they can be bold, they should. You know, if that's something that Jürgen Klopp wants and feels needs to happen and there's a possibility of a deal, I'd hate to think that they missed out on a, a player that they really wanted because they were a bit like, well, we don't really know what's going to happen when they, they... You know, let's not forget they just won the Premier League, massive revenues from that. They've just signed a big bumper new deal with Nike, massive revenues from that. They're not pushing on with the stadium, uh, sorry, the Anfield Road, as you said earlier. So... You know, there are they are still making revenues that they haven't had before. I, I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not an accountant. I don't know exactly, you know, where all that money's been allocated and how it's been allocated yet. But I, I just think, you know, that Liverpool Liverpool work at the best when they, they think creatively. And you know, Michael Edwards has got a good reputation for driving hard bargains. So this is a great opportunity for him, really, isn't it? In a in a changing market. Just before we we finish, whatever happens over these next weeks and months in in the transfer market before the start of next season, it's going to be such a quick turnaround. In all your years covering Liverpool and football on Merseyside, is this the most confidence you've been about the the club's ability to consistently challenge for trophies like it has done these these past few few years under Klopp? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, never before really is Liverpool as a football club uh, marriage on the pitch success with off-the-pitch sort of growth, really. It always felt there was something missing, even when they, they obviously... They've had, let's not forget the last 30 years. I mean, I know, I know the title's been what a lot of the fans have wanted, um, in, you know, including myself, but I think, you know, they've won everything else there is to win. It's not like, you know, it's been a, a period of abject misery, you know, that they, they, they just haven't got what, the, what, what, what everybody really wanted so there's been some great moments but I've always felt in each of those occasions when they've when they've when they've won something that there's been something missing and it, it does feel now you know that the stadium is, is 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 really impressive you know there's potentially over the next few years that's going to get bigger you know off the pitch the commercial operation is is doing really really well driving great re- revenues you know to to, to support what goes on the pitch. You've got a great man, world-class manager. That's what Liverpool, you know, when people ask about sort of what, what's been missing from the first part of FSG, I still think that you get a world-class manager, you've got half a chance, haven't you? Somebody like Jürgen Klopp. So you've got him driving the club. And then, you know, there's the academy as well. The academy's flourishing. You know, there's a harmony between the academy and, and the um, and, and the site at Melbourne, of course. They're, they're going to be moving to a new training ground in, uh, in Kirby as well. So, Everything's connected, really, in, in a way that it hasn't been 
in a long time. Uh, it's all set up there for Liverpool, not necessarily to dominate. I mean, people talk about domination, but you know, there's other clubs that want to dominate as well. And it's going to be difficult, but I think they're definitely going to be able to compete. You know, be disappointed if Liverpool next season when. Uh, in the top three, for example. I, I mean, I'd be disappointed if they were in the top two. I think City are always going to be there. They're going to be difficult to stop. You've got a great manager. You've got great players. You know, that's the rivalry at the moment. You know, they're both egging each other on, aren't they? And I, I just think, you know, you want to see Liverpool challenging for all the major honours year on year. That, that's got to be the aim, really. To, to ask for domination, I think, uh, obviously, that's got to be the, the dream. But I, I think expecting it is, is, is very hard when there's, there's other clubs who equally want to be competitive and equally want to be competing for those trophies. But you just say Liverpool and Man City at the moment are up on a level that other clubs aren't. I mean, that's why I was quite, I was quite frustrated going back to the Arsenal performance. It's like, you know, the difference between Liverpool and Arsenal was night and day, wasn't it? I can't remember thinking in that first half when Liverpool had ever been so far behind Arsenal at any point in the last 20, 30 years, I'm being honest. And to, to, to lose that game, it, it should be like, you know, a big kick up the bum for, for some of the players who think that they can might be able to take it easy on occasion because it's still a football match and, you know, the players that you're playing against are still, you know, highly talented players. But as a group and as a team, that Liverpool team is so much better than Arsenal. It was just, it was frightening, really. And to, to still lose that game, it should really be, a, hopefully, act as a, as a reminder that, that, that the players have still got to perform, even though how talented, how, and concentrate all the time, how talented they are. Because, for the marquee, you know, everybody wants to beat Liverpool. Every every club in the world wants to beat Liverpool. You know, they're, they're, they're a major force again. And it's it's just all there for, 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 for the club to capitalise on. I just hope, as I said, you know, circumstances out of the control don't contribute towards it being that little bit harder than it should be. Just one final question. How are you finding the Athletic alongside a person who's obviously well-known <laughs> to our listeners, James Pearce? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been good fun. I mean, everything that they've... Uh, he sort of promised and uh, is, you know, that they delivered in terms of, uh, you know, what we'd be working on and, and, and the, the, the flow of work being different to, um, to my job before when I was at the Indy, you know, it was very much sort of match focused really where I remember the back end of 2018-19 season, you know, it was just relentless matches where they sort of want me to take a bit more of a step back and, and, and you know, look at the news stories that are going on, getting with features and interviews and sort of not be as obsessed by the matches in many ways because, you know, everybody has an opinion about the match. You know, if I'm writing a match report, what does my opinion really count for more than somebody else who's watching it in, in, in some ways? You know, I mean, I, I, I sort of, it's, it's the job that I've always really wanted, you know, to be able to go and, and actually, um, you know, focus on a few more news angles, which which interests me and, and um, it's been great. I mean, it, it, it's been really good fun and James, uh, James is obviously a nightmare to work with. No, he's not, he's not really, <laughs> but he's great. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we've got both, both angles covered really. I think we both bring different things and, you know, he, he's, he's really uh, on top of everything, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a great work and a great place to work. I can't, I can't fault them at all. Brilliant stuff, Sam. Well, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. It's been really fascinating listening to you, mate, and it'd be great to have you on again in the future, either on with myself or the Blood Red Lads or with Neil and Peter on Ali Rouge or Poets in Motion. No worries, Paul. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.